Good morning. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1. We need to start back in the beginning for a wee little bit here as we look and see some promises that were made to Jeremiah back when the Lord first called him. And now so many years have gone by, what has changed? Look with me in Jeremiah chapter 1, and um, I'd like for you to just read by yourself um, verses 17 through 19, and then when you start to find some promises that God made to Jeremiah, can you just raise your hand, and I'll call on you, and you share what promise you found. So start looking there, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 17, 18, and 19. And if you find a promise, raise your hand so you can share it with everyone else. Anybody find any promises? Ms. Foltz? He will, he will make Jeremiah a defensed city. You know, there's the cities that aren't defensed and there's cities that are defensed. Here, a defensed city is a strong city that can withstand against an army. So he'll make Jeremiah a defensed city. What's something else God promised to him? Lincoln? He'll make him as an iron pillar. That's pretty spectacular. Imagine if these pillars were made out of iron. Which do you think would be easier to chop down, the wooden one or the iron one? Yes, the iron is strong, not so easy to chop down. That's another promise. What's another promise God made to Jeremiah? Yes, a bronze wall. Oh, we've seen more of this defense city, one who will be strong when attacked. What else? Yes, Brother Ray. Ah, that is the climax of it. He's going to do things in his life, and ultimately in the end, at the end of that, is I, will, I am with thee to deliver thee. Very good. Did you see any other promises? Yes? You will fight. Yeah, I was hoping somebody would catch the negative. They'll fight against you. I don't think I want that promise. They'll fight against you. Well, that's exactly what God says, but it wasn't just that they'll fight against you. They shall not prevail against you. Now, just briefly, let's recap what we've already learned about Jeremiah. He's had a hard time. We've seen this happen. People have fought against him. The priests have fought against him, and he himself is a priest. The king has fought against him, and the people have fought against him. He has very few friends. He has the Ethiopian, and he has Eliakim, but that's really about all we've seen of anybody who's actually been helping Jeremiah. It seems like everybody else has been fighting against him. He's had quite a hard time. But in the midst of all of this, God has been with him, and God has delivered him from those who fight against him. It is indeed like he is an iron pillar and a brazen wall. He's a fortified city. Nobody can seem, it seems, well, nobody can 
break through and do him, well, kill him. He's had a pretty miserable life, hasn't he? And in fact, as we now have come many years into his ministry, he is in prison as the Babylonians have besieged the city. The city is starving. The people are dying. And Nebuchadnezzar wins victory over Jerusalem. Now, you might be thinking and saying, why, it seems like I already knew that. Well, you probably did. Because for years, Jeremiah has been saying it would happen. He, in fact, as we review Jeremiah, it's almost just like no surprise to us that Jerusalem falls to Nebuchadnezzar because Jeremiah has been saying it for years. And it seems that nobody's been listening. Well, we're going to find out today that even though nobody has been hearkening, listening and doing anything about it in the city of Jerusalem, that there's some other people outside the city who have been paying attention. And we're going to learn about that in a little while. But now we come to Jeremiah chapter 39, and we find the specific date given of when Jerusalem falls. This account is recorded here in Jeremiah 39 as well as over in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. Jeremiah actually records it twice in the very last chapter of his book and here in chapter 39. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, Jeremiah 39.1, in the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army against Jerusalem, and they besieged it. And in the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, in the ninth day of the month, the city was broken up. And all the princes of the king of Babylon came in and sat in the middle gate. Even Nergal, Shar Urzer, Shamar Nebo, Shar Sekaim, Rab Saris, Nergal Sharazer, Rab Mag, and all the residue of the princes of the king of Babylon. The city was broken up. The princes, the captains of the great ones of Babylon walked right in and set up as if they were in charge because they were in charge there in the middle gate. Now, we had a prophecy about Zedekiah once, didn't we? Remember Zedekiah and his suitcase? Remember how Ezekiel had prophesied over in Babylon that the day would come when Zedekiah would punch a hole in the wall and he would sneak away from the king of Babylon, but he'd get caught? That prophecy was made sometime before. Here now we will read of its fulfillment. And it came to pass, verse 4, that when Zedekiah the king of Judah saw them and all the men of war, then they fled and went forth out of the city by night by the way of the king's garden, by the gate betwixt the two walls. And he went out the way of the plain. Here what this means is he went through the small little gate, the little place there between the walls, the secret passageway, possibly even a part they had to break through. And they're going out the way of the plain. Now, you may not know what that is, but that means they're going to head east 
See, Jerusalem is up on a mountaintop, and they're going to go through the Judean mountains down towards Jordan into the plain where the land is flat. If you actually look at our map, the topographical map, you'll see that plain come down, the plains of Jordan, the plains of Jericho. That's the direction that Zedekiah is going to go. Is he going to get away? Yes or no? Oh, only if some of you know. Well, if you had been listening to Ezekiel's prophecy, you would know he's not going to get away. You know ahead of the story because of prophecy. Ezekiel has said he won't get away. In fact, Ezekiel also prophesied that this king would be brought to Babylon, though he would never see Babylon. And so what happens? Well, it tells us in verse 5, but the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, a particular name of a tribe, or a, a, a tri- uh, not a tribal, but a kin name, kinship name in the uh, Babylonians, their army pursued after them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. And when they had taken him, they brought him up to Nebuchadrezzar, king of Babylon, to Riblah in the land of Hamath, where he gave judgment upon him. Now, I'll tell you, this is interesting. Jerusalem is down in Judea, and if you can picture on a map, this place where Nebuchadnezzar has kind of set up his military campaign headquarters is 100 miles north. 100 miles north in Riblah of Hamath. So they capture Zedekiah there in the plains of Jericho, which isn't actually that far from Jerusalem, and they carry him and his children 100 miles north where they come to Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, gave judgment upon him. Verse 6, Then the king of Babylon slew the sons of Zedekiah and Riblah before his eyes. Also the king of Babylon slew all the nobles of Judah. Moreover, he put out Zedekiah's eyes and bound him with chains to carry him to Babylon. The children of Zedekiah, the king, are executed by Nebuchadnezzar, and then he is bound in chains and carried away as a captive to Babylon, a blind captive. Verse 8, And the Chaldeans burned the king's house and the houses of the people with fire and break down the walls of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is destroyed. Then Nebuzaradan, here he is, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive into Babylon the remnant of the people. The remnant of the people, that means all the people that were left. And those that fell away, that fell to him, those were the ones who were deserters, who fled and fell and joined the Babylonians with the rest of the people that remained. But Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left of the poor of the people, which had nothing, in the land of Judah. 
and gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. So Jerusalem has fallen. The king has had his eyes plucked out and put in chains and carried to Babylon. The majority of the people have been carried away as captives to Babylon. And the captain of the host, Zaradan, Nebu Zaradan, has come back to Jerusalem. Details are given precisely of the time he came back and has totally spoiled the city, burning the principal houses, the king's house, the prince's house, the dwelling places, and knocking down the walls. Jerusalem now is in ruins. The city is uninhabitable. That means people can't live there. It has fallen just as Jeremiah has been prophesying, just as Jeremiah has been warning the people. The people have been carried away captives, and all that have been left are just the poor of the land. Why? Because he knows that if he takes all the people out, the land will be overrun with wild beasts, and all of the vineyards and the profitable parts of the land will go to waste and become a wilderness. And so he leaves the poor who have nothing there in the land for them to care for these vineyards and these farms. The rest are carried away. All that has happened has been fulfilled. And you might be wondering, where is Jeremiah? What happened to Jeremiah in all of this? Well, we need to go back a little bit before Jerusalem actually fell. And we're going to look into a little conversation that Nebuchadnezzar had with Nebuzaradan. So, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, before all this happened, had heard about Jeremiah. Does that surprise you? And he had heard about him, and so he had, for his captain of the guard, very specific instructions. For it tells us in chapter 39, verse 11, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave charge concerning Jeremiah to Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard. Take him and look well to him and do him no harm, but do unto him even as he shall say unto thee. Ah, did you catch those instructions? Did you catch those instructions? You're supposed to take him. You're to look well to him. You're to do him no harm. And get this. You're supposed to do for Jeremiah whatever he tells you to do. Hmm. I really wonder what you've heard about Jeremiah. What's he know about Jeremiah? What do you know about Jeremiah? I'm going to tell you a little bit ahead. You know, they actually had heard of his sermons. And what's really intriguing is it seems that they got the message, even though nobody in Jerusalem seemed to have got the message. You'll see what I mean in just a little while. But you know, as I keep reading the account, something tells me that you had a hard time finding Jeremiah. Why? 
Well, thank you, Nebuchadnezzar. He's up in Hamath. He's up there doing judgment. He's gone away. Whether or not he ever personally was besieging Jerusalem, we're not entirely sure. So he goes away. For a moment, don't go too far because you do peer peer again. Stand by. There's no speaking part. Everybody's worried about speaking parts, it seems. Well, here we go back to Jerusalem. I've told you that the city has been destroyed. The people have been carried away captives. So what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? I think you're concerned about this. What happened to Jeremiah? As we keep putting the pieces together, we find out that somehow Jeremiah got lost among the captives. Owen, you want to play Jeremiah? Somehow in the midst of all of this, Jeremiah found himself as one of the captives in chains. Now, what was the instruction that Nebuchadnezzar had given Nebuzaradan, his captain of his guard? What was that? Take him and look well to him. Do him no harm, but do unto him even as he shall say unto thee. Now, how many of you think that Jeremiah wanted to be chained? None of you? Yeah, I don't think he did either. How many of you think that um, Jeremiah wanted to be hauled away as a captive far up north to, to Hamath, to Riblah? Any of you think he wanted that? No, I don't think he wanted that. But you know what? It happened to you. And I'm curious about you. Because see, his job was given by Nebuchadnezzar to take him, to look well to him, to do him no harm, but to do unto him even as he shall say unto thee. But when we come to the next chapter, we find that Jeremiah is among the captives in chains a hundred miles north. Oops. Right? Oops. Well, if we look here in the next chapter, it tells us again here that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. After that, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had let him go from Riblah. Oh, well, there's a little bit ahead of the story. When he had taken him, being bound in chains among all who were carried away captive of Jerusalem and Judah, which were carried away captive unto Babylon. So apparently, you had been mixed in with all of the captives, had been carried away to Riblah, where there was the processing of the captives. The processing, you know, that's where King Zedekiah's sons got killed, his eyes plucked out, and then he carried a captive. Well, in this processing center, we'll call it that, you are there in chains. Nebuzaradan finds them. You glad you found them? And so here we are. Well, come over here. And here's Nebuzaradan, and, and he realizes he's had special instructions for you. And so now uh, he, he comes to you, and uh, he says to you, The Lord thy God hath pronounced evil upon this place. Now the Lord hath brought it, and done according as he hath said, because ye have sinned against the Lord, and have not obeyed his voice. 
Therefore, this thing has come upon you. And now, behold, I loose thee this day from the chains which were upon thine hand. If it seemed good unto thee to come with me into Babylon, come, and I will look well unto thee. But if it seem ill unto thee to come with me into Babylon, forbear. Behold, now all the land is before thee. Whether it seemeth good and convenient for thee to go, thither go. Now, it seems that here Jeremiah didn't seem to quite know where he was going or what was going on. But so, so Nebuzaradan, he, he goes on and gives him more instruction. Go back also to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon hath made governor over the cities of Judah, and dwell with him among the people. Or go wheresoever it seemeth convenient unto thee to go. So the captain of the guard gave to Jeremiah the tools, that's food, and a reward, probably some money, and let him go. So now, finally, this guy is doing what Nebuchadnezzar said to do with you. How long it took for this to happen? I don't know. But now he has been freed. Do we see yet again further the fulfillment of God promising to be with him? God's still promising to be with him. Now, I want to look at something that this Babylonian captain of the guard said to Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah has been preaching to the people for years now. Forsake your sin. Turn to the Lord. The city will be destroyed if you do not trust God. They've ignored him. It seems almost as if They've never gotten the message. But you know what's weird? The Babylonians got the message. Did you see that? I mean, he literally rehearses to Jeremiah his sermon he's been preaching for years. It makes me stop. It makes me ask myself this question. How familiar do I, am I, do I know what God has said? but does it make any difference in my life? The people had heard God's word, but it never made any difference. It had been so clear that even, may I say, the pagan godless Babylonians understood the truth of the message, even though the people whom it was meant for totally missed the point. Let's not miss the point. When we hear, when we know what God has for us, what he's commanded of us, what he wants for us, it should make a difference. We shouldn't be lulled to sleep or just seeing that it goes in one ear and out the other. It should make a difference in our lives. It's just so sad sometimes when unbelievers will look at things about Christianity, think of some of the social issues that we deal with in our world, and they know and see the truth, and they know what the Bible says about some of the things. Sometimes they don't, sometimes they do. And yet it seems that as Christian people, we don't see it or we ignore it. What a confusing message that sends. I think it's intriguing to me, very intriguing to me, that here the Babylonians understood what was going on. I wonder if maybe that has something to do with Daniel back in Babylon. I wonder if it just is that the Jeremiah was very clear in his teaching, and it had been disseminated throughout the land and coming all the way to 
the Babylonians. So here now, you have a choice. You can go wherever you want. The chains have been taken off. You are a free man. And did you notice he gave you a recommendation? Go back with Gedaliah. Oh, you might be saying, who's Gedaliah? Well, hey, your majesty, Nebuchadnezzar, come on back up here because there's another guy that you need to appoint. Did, did you throw this on the floor? <laughs> this was my Christmas present. Nebuchadnezzar, he's still up north at Hamath of Riblah. But there's somebody he wants to leave in charge. Now, it could be him, but you know, I don't think that the poor Jews left behind are going to follow him very well. So who's he going to put in charge? Remember I told you that Jeremiah had some friends. Eliakim. You remember him? Do you remember the name Shaphan? For a long time, way back to when you first began your ministry, like the first year of Jeremiah's ministry, the law of God was found in Jerusalem. We find out that there was a man whose name was Shaphan, who was a scribe, who read that law before King, at that time, Josiah. And remember, Josiah was greatly diswrought about this, and he sent people to Huldah, his aunt, asking and beseeching that she give them a word from the Lord. Well, when this happened, they sent Shaphan and his son Eliakim to Huldah. Well, you know what? Eliakim also has a son. So here now we know a whole family, and actually you probably don't know the family because it's kind of obscure and you got to piece together all those intriguing genealogies to figure out who's who. But we find here now that Jeremiah's had a friend way back in Shaphan. And there's some question as to whether or not there were two Shaphans, but we'll just assume, aren't crystal clear, that they're the same. He, he had a friend whose name was Shaphan. Shaphan had a son whose name was Eliakim. And Eliakim has a son whose name is Gedaliah. Well, Shaphan was a scribe who loved the Lord, whom you worked with. When Jehoiakim... When it was causing you all this trouble, and you know all the people were trying to have you killed when you wrote a scroll and sent it, Eliakim was the guy who was there in the midst of all of that when that scroll was being read to Jehoiakim. You see the second next generation? Hmm. When he was in the pit, when he was about to die, you remember there was the Ethiopian who was on his side? But there was another guy, Shaphan's son Eliakim, who was also persuading the king to help Jeremiah. This family is pretty well known as being a good family. So much so that now Shaphan's grandson, Eliakim's son, his name is Gedaliah. Gedaliah, you want to come on up here? And you know what? Nebuchadnezzar as he's processing all the captives, all of the prisoners, all of the people here in Ribla, he decides to make Gedaliah, Shaphan's grandson, Eliakim's son, 
governor. He's now the guy in charge. Gedaliah. He's now the governor of Judah. And so when Nebuzaradan processed Jeremiah, which should have actually been done a long time before, but finally got him processed, his recommendation to Jeremiah is that you go back with the, one, the son of one of the guys who has been a help to you. You go back with him. And guess what? That's what Jeremiah decides to do. He decides to go back to Judea with Gedaliah. You guys go to the town of Mizpah, which is a famous city, not a real big city, but it's a famous town north of Jerusalem. That's the new capital, if there is a capital. Gedaliah is faithful to the Babylonians, just as Jeremiah has been telling all the people to submit to them. So Gedaliah is now the same way. And so the advice has been given to Jeremiah to go back with Gedaliah. He goes back. And the history continues. For it tells us that he was there and people began to come and gather. Thank you, your majesty. You're all done for today. He, 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 he's back up in Ribla. Eventually he goes back to Babylon. But now we're in Mizpah. Mizpah. And uh, the people hear about Gedaliah. This family had a reputation as being an honorable family. You know what? People are happy and excited that Gedaliah has been appointed the governor over them. And so people begin to come out of their hiding places because they've been hiding from him. And they come out of their hiding places and they're going to come to really show respect to you as Gedaliah. Uh, or disrespect. They're going to come to him. There's a lot of people who are excited about him being the governor. And so, in verse, verse 9, chapter 40, verse 9, it tells us that Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, swear unto them and to their men, Fear not to serve the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land. Serve the king of Babylon, and it will be well with you. But as for me, behold, I will dwell at Mitzvah to serve the Chaldeans, which will come unto us. But ye, gather ye wine and summer fruits and oil, and put them in your vessels, and dwell in your cities that you have taken. That sounds like good advice. It is. Continue serving the king of Babylon. For Jeremiah has said it will be 70 years. Well, Jews who had previously fled and been refugees and fled to the nearby countries of Moab and Ammon and Edom, they too begin to come back to the land to do just as Gedaliah has said, to, to take care of their, their, their to take care of the land. They be the ones that didn't get carried away captive to Babylon. It tells us in verse 12, even all the Jews returned out of all the places where they were, they were driven and came to the land of Judah to Gedaliah unto Mizpah and gathered wine and summer fruits very much. You see, at this time now, the Babylonians have been slurped out of the land. The residents of the land have been slurped out of the land. But the, the fruits that have now, the Babylonians aren't eating it. The Jews aren't eating it. And so now these people 
refugees are returning back to the land, not the true restoration, just the ones who had fled away are now, so there's a partial return. It's not really a return. It's the refugees reassimilating back in, and they're taking care of the crops. Well, among some of those people who came to Gedaliah to swear allegiance, you might say, was a guy named Ishmael. You know what? Should I play the role of Ishmael? I'll play the role of Ishmael. Yes, Ishmael. Ishmael has been hanging out over there in Ammon. And um, he sees that Gedaliah has now been appointed as king. Kind of. Well, is he really king? Is he king? What is he? What's Gedaliah's position? Governor. Governor, that's right. Who's he think he is? Being the governor. I am Ishmael. I am of the royal seed of David. If anybody ought to be king, it ought to be me. Right? What do you think? So here he comes, Ishmael, and he gets together 10 men. Who want to be on my side? I need 10 men. Where are my 10 men? Oh, come on, there's one. Pick out a few others to come help me. Oh, William, you're not a part of this group of 10 men. You're part of another. Okay, so we've got one, and we've got two, and we've got three, and we've got four. I, we've got five, Mr. Densmore, coming. Um, oh, you're going to come six. Yes, I've got, I need four more, six, seven, I need eight. Micaiah, are you coming? No? Okay, I need nine and ten, I need nine and ten. I'm going to call names, Jared's coming, number nine. Oh, maybe I don't have to call anybody, because I'll get all of them, ten. Hey, you guys, come on. I am of the royal seed. I am Ishmael. I am of royal seed. And I've got a great friend. You know who's my friend? The king of Ammon. He's on my side. We're going to go and we're going to act like we're on Yeah, whatever his name is. We're going to act like we're on his side. But the plan's really to kill him. Sound like a plan? We're going to kill Jeremiah's friend. Does that sound like a plan? No. So here we are making our plans. Meanwhile, our little secret's not too secret. Because there is a man who sees what's going on. And some of the other princes see what's going on. They understand it. And there's one who comes to Gedaliah. And he has some news for Gedaliah. Listen, listen. The thou certainly know that Baalish, the king of the Amorites, 
has sent Ishmael, the son of Nathiah, to slay thee. Mm-hmm. Did you hear that? Gedaliah is informed by Johanan that I am actually from the king of Ammon coming to kill him. Can you get any clearer of a message, Gedaliah? Hmm. It says that Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, believed them not. So trusting. That's what we like. The trusting Gedaliah. So time goes by. And so Jehananan, the son of Kira, spake to Gedaliah and Mizpah secretly, apparently a little bit later. Let me go, I pray thee, and I will slay Ishmael, the son of Nathiah, and no man shall know it. Wherefore should he slay thee, that all the Jews which are gathered unto thee shall be scattered, and the women in Jewish perish? Thou shalt not do this thing, for thou speakest falsely of Ishmael. Gedaliah is an interesting man. I'll come out of character for a moment. You see, I, he comes from a goodly family. He comes from goodly heritage. He's seen as wise enough by Nebuchadnezzar to be appointed as governor. You know how it is important to be trusting? But you know we also need to be wise. 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 Gedaliah wants to see the best of people, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's not to be blind to the truth. He's been presented with some facts. Why won't he accept it? You know, the narrative doesn't give it to us. But I think we see laid out for us here an example of the need for us to be wise. Remember the scripture that says, be harmless as doves, wise as serpents? That's what you need. That's what Gedaliah needed, that truth. Not just in word, but indeed he needed to understand the importance of that. So what's going to happen? There's a plot. Well, it tells us that it came to pass in the seventh month. Ishmael again. We're going to go to a feast. You guys like feasts? Yes. So in the seventh month that Ishmael, of the seed royal, don't miss that point, I am of the seed royal. And the princes of the king, oh, I recruit some more of the seed royal, even ten men with them came unto Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, to Mitzpah, and there, let's go, guys, we had a feast. Okay, so let's just imagine here we come in and we're all sitting down and we're having a feast together. Now, let me tell you something really special about Jews and feasts. When we eat together, that means we're friends. When we share a meal together, it's called sharing salt. It means we're peaceable. 
right? And so we come together to have a feast, to eat together. This is what we would do to show that we have peace. Well, in the midst of this, I and ten of the men that are with me, we arose and we smoked Gedaliah and killed him. But that's not it. We now go throughout Mizpah, and anyone who opposes us, we kill. I wonder where you were. Don't know. In fact, we not only kill all the Jews that were there, any of those Babylonians, we killed. Any of the Chaldeans here in Mizpah making sure that Gedaliah is doing his job, we killed them. Any men of war, we killed them too. I'm in charge now. Now here's what's weird. Ishmael, as soon as he gets all of this and he's in charge, do you know what we do? We take everybody captive. Again! I mean, you might think, you know, Ishmael, he's the freedom fighter. He's the real patriot here. He's not going to submit to those Chaldeans. He's going to kill those Chaldeans, and he's going to kill the governor of the Jewish, this traitor who joined on them. And besides, we're of the seed royal. We're the princes of the king. We're going to bring freedom, right? Yeah, it wasn't freedom. For as soon as he gained control, he ended up carrying away captive all the people. But before this all is known, two days pass by, and some people are coming, coming to Mitzpah. They're coming to Mitzpah. In fact, there are 80 men. William's just representative of one of those 80 men. 80 men are coming to Mitzpah, and they're sad. Oh, and here's Ishmael again. Ishmael, he sees these 80 men coming. You know what he does? Like he's grieving with them. And when he gets the 80 men in, they begin to slaughter him. And as they're going through slaughtering him, huh, a few of them spoke up and says, 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 wait, 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 wait. He, he says, Oh, after 70 of them had been killed, 
10 of them speak up and say, don't kill us. Don't slay us. We have treasures hidden in the field. We'll show them to you. And so he spares them. He spares them so he can get their treasures. And then the supposed patriot Ishmael proceeds on with basically carrying all of the people who were left in the land, the poor of the land, now captive. So who's the patriot? Ah, Ishmael's not a patriot. He's a traitor. He's a traitor. Will he be held accountable? Will he be stopped? What's going to happen? You'll have to wait like three whole weeks to find out. Or you can read ahead. Or you can read ahead. Gedaliah, the governor, has been killed. Not quite sure exactly where Jeremiah is. Well, except now we know he's being carried away captive. Hey, thanks for the treasures, but you're still my prisoner. The supposed patriot Ishmael is just nothing more than an oppressive puppet traitor to the king of Ammon. What's going to happen? Well, you'll have to find out. But let me turn you in closing to Romans chapter 8. Remember the promises made to Jeremiah in the beginning? You're going to be like a wall, a fortified city, an iron pillar. You'll be fought against, but they will not prevail against you. I, God says, will be with you. I will deliver you. We skipped it here this morning, but here in chapter 39, we're reminded of a little event. Remember the Ethiopian who helped to bring Jeremiah up out of the pit? God made a promise to that Ethiopian that your life will be a prey, but you will be spared even though this city will fall. You know what? God kept his promise to him. God's kept his promise to Jeremiah over and over and over and over again. Now, will God keep his promise still? You know, God's promise to be with us too. Will God keep his promise to us? Gedaliah, he gets appointed. He comes from a good family. He's such a kind-hearted man. Got him in trouble. Got him dead. And then we turn to Romans 8, and we read this. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. We find Jeremiah. You were called even from the womb. God had a purpose for Jeremiah. And we see here that it says all things will work together for good. Now, I know you're some of those men that with Ishmael, so you might not get this. You might think, yeah, this is turning out good. He's dead. But tell me, is it good that he spent so long in the miry pit? Is it good that Jeremiah was carried away in chains like all of the others? Is it good that now he is being carried away again as a captive? Are all things working together for good? Yes or no? Well, that's kind of a hard answer, isn't it? We know what it says. And so we have to say yes, right? But isn't there that little part of us that says, uh, not really. No, we have to say yes. And it's very important for us to believe truly that all things work together for good to them that are called according to his purpose. 
we see later on as things go on here that, you know, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. Things might be falling apart, not be going the way you think they should be going. Might not you think be good. Are you called according to his purpose? He's got a plan. Trust him in his plan, knowing that he's working all things together for good. Though you're being carried away captive again, Jeremiah can believe and trust that God's working all things together for good. Great God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the illustrations in these historical accounts we can see of truths that are profound and real and timeless. Lord, there's many things we could learn, and we pray that you would teach us. Teach us to be wise while also trusting. Teach us to be kind, but also those of discerning spirits. Help us not to be caught up in the, in the conspiracies of our friends or of whoever it may be to lead us astray, whether it even be our own hearts. But may we look to you. May we trust in you. May we hope in you. And whenever things may not seem to be going the way we wish they would go, may we acknowledge, believe, that indeed all things work together for good for those who are called according to your purpose. May we truly be persuaded, as we've read here in Romans, that there's nothing to separate us from your love. May we see that in Jeremiah's life, and may it enforce and encourage us in our own lives that you might be glorified as we trust you, love you, and praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.